We could have been stardust Same world but without us Something made us, made us find each other out there Made us realize we're more than just stardust Ignore this fact if you must To do what your dreams are telling you to do And I'll be out there looking for someone like you Hi, I'm Frank Daly, and this is That Sounds Interesting podcast. Today, I'm chatting with Maura Carter, who's a Californian painter, and she's painted some wonderful buildings, interiors, still lifes, portraits, and landscapes. So welcome, Maura. I'm delighted to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Frank. Thank you for asking me. It's a pleasure to be here. Maura, let's let's just start by going back to, to the time when you were in Dresden. I think you said that you were went to the Dresden Academy of Fine Arts. That's right. It, it really was a dream come true. Um, I had been working in corporate America for 10 years and really wanting to go to art school, but not seeing a way forward with that. It's very expensive over here. And um, I just couldn't see how I could afford to quit my job and pay for art school. Um, So my husband, his job, um, they had an opportunity to go over to Dresden, Germany. And not only was I going to be able to quit my job and paint full time, but then there was an art academy there and they accepted me. Uh, So it was totally a dream come true. I loved it there. That's super. And uh, you you speak German then? Oh, I had to learn. Uh, So when I arrived, I had maybe six months beforehand to learn some remedial German. And uh, it it turns out we were in Germany for 15 years. So by the end, I I could speak some German. Um, But in the beginning, it was very difficult. And my professors they didn't speak any English. They were all from the Eastern Bloc. They had been taught Russian as kids. And so I had to rely on my fellow students. They were all 19 and I was about 31, but they spoke English. And, you know, I had a professor, Siegfried Klotz. He was so great. And he would just do charades with me until I finally understood what he said, or he would write it down on a little piece of paper. And of course, there was no internet back then. So I had this huge dictionary and I would go look up every word. So uh, it was challenging in the beginning, but I I got there. Yes, you certainly did because you're producing such lovely work, um, I have to say, Maura. I know you said also that you went to Berlin some of the time when you were there. Yes, I love Berlin. So we got a little apartment in Berlin. We had this fantasy that we're going to retire in Berlin, and we got this little apartment. I just loved it there. So we would go up on the weekends, and uh, when we started going up, I had just given birth to my daughter. So there wasn't a lot of time to paint, um, but I did manage to put in to get a couple of paintings out of our weekends there. And, you know, Berlin is just teeming with young energy and art and um i i love it love it up there berlin has a a character of its own i have to say it does just looking at the paintings that you are we'll get into looking at the portfolio in a second but just generally describing the type of painting you did when you were in dresden versus the paintings that you do now in california 
so you know before getting to art school um I, I didn't, I was self-taught, basically. I took a smattering of classes here and there. A lot of times it would be a life drawing class where there was no instruction. So all I knew how to do before arriving to art school was I would look at what I wanted to paint and I would say, okay, I'm going to try and match that color right there. And I'd mix it up on my palette and then I'd put it on my canvas and say, okay, that part's done. Now I'll go to the next section and the next color. And um, since then, through art school and workshops after it and reading books and YouTube videos, you know, I, I've learned so much more about there's warm and cool in, in just about any surface. Um, think about the shapes in your composition, just not what appeals to you intuitively. Think about the brush strokes, the direction of the brush strokes, the thickness and thinness of your paints, um, the underpainting. Uh, maybe you have a ground that's a different color that's shining through the soft and hard edges. So all of those things, reflected light, I, I think about now, I did not even know to think about them back then. That, that's a huge benefit of going to a college to learn actually what to do in terms of art. I mean, many people are self-taught artists as well who do who do quite well, but there's a huge benefit in learning the um, accumulated knowledge of centuries that get, can get taught in, in a college. Yes, and I would say to anybody, you know, don't, don't feel like you need to go to art school to get all this information. Uh, the things that I just described, not all of those I got from art school. Um, I, you know, as I said, from books, from practicing, from YouTube, from the, the internet. Um, you know, one of the things I also got from art school was um, demystifying the allure of it. So before art school, I thought, well, I'm not really a valid painter because I didn't go to art school. And now that I've been... I feel as though, well, I've got that stamp now. Um, and anybody who hasn't gone to art school can't, for whatever reason, you are just as valid. You can learn anything that you need to learn to get where you want to get. When it finished the course and you started painting in um, Dresden, you were painting a lot of architectural buildings. In fact, you seem to have a great penchant for uh, architecture. Well, you know, I was living downtown Dresden and I didn't have a car. So that limited me to getting out to the landscape areas, although I did live very close to the Elba River. So I did get some river vistas, which was great. But mostly I would just go out with all my stuff. And back then I didn't know how to um, pare down all my stuff. So it was very heavy. I would load it onto my bike and I would just ride until I saw something or until it got to be maybe around 10 a.m. And then I thought, that's it. I'm stopping my bike. I'm just going to find a composition here and just sort of paint. And so a lot of it was architecture. Also, um, you know, my undergraduate degree is in mathematics. I think I have a very logical mind and I find painting buildings easier than painting a tree. A tree is organic. It has random branches and I, I find that difficult. I'm still working on that. Whereas a building, I can make a straight line and I can make a 45 degree angle line. That's easy. Also, the, the range of colors that you used in Dresden seemed to be cooler. Now, I think it's because the light is much cooler. Uh, uh, it's cloudier in Germany. I've spent a good lot of time in Berlin and certainly it is there. Now, I've been through Dresden as well. And so 
compared to California, and it's about 20 years since I've been in California, uh, the light is significantly different. And that's a big influence, I guess, in the type of color and paint you use. Yeah, you know, I think I've also evolved as far as value is concerned. I think back then, um, I had a more difficult time figuring out what's the darkest part of this painting, what's the lightest. Also, I was heavily using Payne's gray back then. That was sort of my go-to dark, and that's a very blue dark, and I don't use that anymore. I remember one time I had a show, and it's very good to see all your paintings up together, and you can really see what you tend towards. And I thought, well, I am just using way too much Payne's gray. So I took it out of my palette. I think that also makes a difference. You're right. You can overuse any color and it can make a difference. In in your California paintings, you use a lot more red. And maybe I know you said you don't use as much Payne's gray. And that's a, obviously that has it. And because of the blue, it has an opposite effect, I guess, we're doing it. But you use quite a lot of red in your clouds and on the edges of buildings and also in the, in the shadows, the purple ready shadows that are in there as well. So Sure. Um, so I, it definitely in the shadows, I, uh, I'll use a lot of alizarin crimson, maybe mixed with ultramarine blue. That's one of my go-tos. I think the red in the clouds and everything is just, um, you know, I'll use for my landscapes, um, I, I use these wood panels. I prime them three times with white gesso. And then I put a layer, this is raw sienna plus alizarin crimson. And I really like the way then the clouds will show through uh, the, the alizarin crimson and Rossiana shows through underneath the clouds. So here's one. We were going to talk about this. You can see how it's showing through. So what happens is then your eye will mix these colors optically. They're not mixed physically on the panel, but they're mixed optically. And I really like that. So um, also you can see here um, it's sh shining through a little bit on the roof. And then I let it shine through down here a little bit so it looks like the reflected light. I use it to my advantage with landscapes. Do you tend to uh, do value studies before you start to do paintings? Or do you just uh, are so used to painting, you just do them automatically, you automatically find where the color, where the light and dark shades are? You know, it depends what I'm painting. So um, when you do, uh, when I do a value study, it, I, I call it a grisaille. It's just um, a painting in dark and light. Um, I like to let that dry before going over it with color. And that will usually take at least a day. So if I'm going out to do some plein air painting, I'm probably not going to do a grisaille, unless it's a bigger landscape, in which case, you know, maybe I'm going to return to that several days in a row. And I love doing a grisaille. So um, I, have, I have an example. Here's another painting of John. And I never got to put the color over it for whatever reason. And um, so... The advantage of doing this is that the first day, all you need to think about is the composition and the light and the dark. Don't need to think about the color. And then the other benefit is then the next day when you come back and you put the color on top of it, when you put color on top of this white, it's like you're putting, um, you know, a, a film of of like, you know, colored saran wrap or something on top of a white wall. So it gives it a different kind of glow than you're going to get with an a la prima. Again, the colors are being combined optically in your head and not physically on the panel. 
And that's a kind of an impressionist type of approach as well. If you think impressionists did those little dots sometimes are the, are the short paint strokes as well, and your your brain combined them. I mean, it's a different technique than we're talking about here, but it's also based on the same idea that your brain combines colors uh, into to make the actual color that you're looking that, and you don't realize it sometimes. That's right. And you know, the old masters used this grisaille technique all the time and, and they used it with um, egg tempera instead of um, oil paint. And they would just, even in the middle of a painting, they could add that white and then it would, it would dry immediately. And then they would add their oil painting on top for a, a different type of color. What do you tend to use, like in terms of brushes and in paints? And I mean, you've shown me some some boards that you use as well. And you paint you paint quite small in and and but huge amount of detail in that small painting. I have to say, right. So for my um, Alla Prima work, I do tend to paint on a small level, just a small format, so that I can get it finished that day. I I love the Alla Prima. I love going out and starting something new. The other advantage to painting small is I'm constantly trying to simplify. I feel as though I came to um, my art education fairly late in life, and I had already ingrained some perhaps bad habits. Um, I didn't know about simplification. And so now when I paint small, uh, I'm forced to simplify. Um, My brushes don't go any smaller. So that's a good exercise for me. Um, Brushes, I'm not terribly particular about them. You know, as long as they're the right size, um, I use both filberts and flats. I get pretty cheap synthetic ones. Um, I use a combination of alkyds and regular oils so that my painting will be dry the next day in case I want to glaze it or go back to the site and work on it again. So here's an example of, uh, I like Windsor and Newton alkyds. They're great. And I don't want all my colors to be alkyds because then I'm just wasting paints. The next day it's all dry. I've got to throw it all out. My favorite oil paints, I think, are blocks. Uh, But there's a lot of great brands out there. And for anybody beginning, don't let the paints um, limit you in, in any way. Just get whatever is decent and cheap and work on values and composition and just get out there and paint. As far as a gel, um, I I used to use linseed oil, but then I'd be out there and the wind would blow my linseed oil over and it would get all over everything. And so I use this now. It's a a gel and I I really like it as a medium. That's good. Obviously from doing lots and lots of paintings, you you refine what works well for you. Do you, do you ever make uh, uh, drawing studies before you paint, or do you always paint directly? I do. So here's, here's my, my sketchbooks from the last you know, year or two, and uh, you know, they're full of little thumbnail sketches. I don't always do a thumbnail sketch, but it's always a good idea to do one. Um, sometimes I'll get to a site, and I'll think, oh, that's it. That's what I've got to paint. And I know that the light is going to start changing in about 45 minutes. I know it's going to be totally gone in two hours. So I just get going. Uh, and I, I tell myself, I'm just going to work out the composition on the board. And if it's not right, I'm going to wipe it off and start over and move things. But really, just taking that five minutes to do four little thumbnail sketches just outlining the major shapes that you want and where you want them, and then trying it again 
moving those shapes around just a little bit. Do that a couple times. Look at that and say, well, which one do I like best? Just intuitively, um, it really helps the painting process. It's, it's, it's saving time, really. When I look across all the work you've done that I can see the portfolios that you have online, um, all it's all about light and shadow and brushwork as well, but light and shadow, they're the main thing. That's what draws me to your paintings, I have to say. The shadows on the trees, for example, in one of, of the paintings where you have a, a, a very, we'll be talking about it in a, in a little while, Baylands, I think it was called, and um, the shadow on top of the tree as well, and the light coming in on part of the bark, and then also the shadows on the ground. That's what, what um, it, it it's exactly like uh, you'd imagine it would be. So it's very well represented, I have to say. Um, just um, uh, apart from, from making those studies occasionally, then you actually start working, I guess, right away, and you try and do a painting every day, or not painting in one day, or, or maybe in two days. Or would you ever spend a long amount of time uh, working on a painting? Sure. Um, you know, my portraits, I'll spend as many times as I can get that model to sit for me. So uh, three to four times if I'm lucky. And then I'll do the same with the landscape. If I want to do a larger landscape, um, I will, I'll start with a grisaille the first day, and then I'll go back three or four more times. Um, I really enjoy just the alla prima. And so that's what I've been doing more of lately. But, you know, even two days is not too much, uh, and, and that can add a lot. Um, so you have a painting called Pigeon Point. I think I have one version of it right here. Um, I, I've done it a couple times, but this might be the, the smaller version of it. I love that spot. It's so beautiful there. You had done an underpainting, and you could see the brushwork coming through and then also merging with the brushwork on top. Is that a, Do you always do that, or, or do you just occasionally do that? I like it when that happens. Right. I, I really like it when the underpainting comes through. Um, you know, I want it to come through where I want it to, and I want to cover it up where I don't want it. And, and that's a decision that sometimes is hit or miss. You know, sometimes um, I may have covered it all up in one area, and then it's too late. And there's a certain um, deadness to that area now that I've covered all that up. I think you can see a little bit of it still sh showing through in the water here, and I feel like that's working. If I were to cover that all up, I could recreate it with other colors, but it would be sort of a, a different technique. And then I did cover it all up here because I felt as though that really needed um, solidity. I, I needed that to look like rocks on the cliff. Um, and water is more, you can see through it, so it's okay for some of that to come through. Same with up here in the, in the sky, it's okay for some of that to come through. Of course, actually, and I think it's very effective in the water. You know, I was immediately drawn to the texture of the underpainting and then the water itself, and I felt that it worked so well, I have to say. So, uh, I mean, so you're, do, you're working on multiple levels. If, you, if we go back to what you talk, mentioned earlier on, you were using a particular uh, toning of a canvas, first of all, and then using some of that in the eventual painting, and then also using the brush strokes that came from that underpainting, and also using that in the final result as well. So 
It's very much a combination of what's happening in multiple layers. That's right. You know, I, you, you just play it by ear. You say, what is the next step I need to do in this painting? And you do it. And if it, if it doesn't turn out right, well, there's always tomorrow. <laughs> That's a super attitude to have. And I think it's the, exactly the correct one. You can, well, in, in, in oil paint, you could just uh, paint it out or scrub it out or whatever. In, in watercolors or in acrylic, well, you can do it in acrylic as well, but I tend to just use another board or, or another piece of paper if I'm, I'm doing it in watercolors. But um, just moving on, actually, about with Bayland, the Bayland clouds, uh, I felt that was a very nice painting in terms of how you got the the perspective in the clouds and the shadows in the clouds. I love painting clouds and I, I don't feel like I'm there yet. I still have further to go on clouds. The thing about them is they're there for less than five minutes. And so you've got to get the shapes immediately. So once I find shapes of clouds that I like, I just try and sort of sketch the outline because then it's gone. And then um, I'll, then I can look at the clouds that are up there for the colors. They're not the same clouds, but it's going to have the same light. They're going to have the same colors. So they, you know, they really have, they're sort of purple at the bottom, but then, you know, and cool, but then there's also warmth in them as well. And I like to have maybe sharper edges sometimes on the top and then softer edges at the bottom where it just sort of bleeds into the sky um, and then down at the bottom, they're often very flat. But, you know, it's good to understand um, the formation of clouds but and almost have tricks in your bag, but then to actually look at what's going on because there's so many different kinds and it's going to be different every day and the light's going to be different every day. Colors are going to be different every day. Because the light's changing so much and you're going to be spending a while, do you ever take a photograph on your phone of what it's like and then you can refer back to what it was like? I do. And, you know, I used to not do that at all. I remember first year in art school, I didn't know what I was doing. We would paint the model every morning from 10 to 2. And then we'd stay in the afternoons and work on whatever we wanted. So I was working on something from a photo. And Professor Klotz came over and he goes, oh, in German, you're working from a photo. And the way he said it, I knew. And I was just shamed into working from a photo. And so... I mean, it was decades I did not use a photo ever. And it's only lately that now um, I'll take a reference photo and usually I don't use it. But it might be the next day I'll say, oh, you know, on this one, what was the contrast between the house and the grass? I like that, but maybe I want to make that house a little bluer. You know, some little, little tweaks. Um, so I do take reference photos now, hardly ever use them. Sometimes I do. And I think it's just fine. I don't, I don't think um, painting from photos is going to get you where you want. So I really encourage people paint from life as often as you can, if not exclusively. But um, I, I think every once in a while, looking back at the photo, thinking about, well, maybe I want to add a little tree there, whatever it is, that's fine. Of course. And actually, um, a taking a photograph is not like doing a sketch, because if you do a quick sketch to get a value, get the values or to get some idea of how the composition is going to work out, then that's a more, I think, a more active involvement, whereas uh, taking a photograph is a more passive involvement. And um, 
and and as a result you don't you get more value out of, out of the active involvement in my opinion okay is it the darks in a photograph um, are always a, a bit um, monochromatic they're just black you know and the lights are very white so you're not going to get the color from a photograph that you get from real life also the angle of the lens of our eye is different than the angle of the lens of a camera so if you're copying from a photograph it's just going to look like a big blown up photograph when you're done um, so i think that's why sketch from life do your painting from life. If you need to refer to the photo later for whatever, you've already sat there or stood there and looked at what it is you're working on. You've, you've internalized the colors and the warmth and the cools and the shadows. And when you look at the photo, you're actually seeing in your mind's eye the real thing. And um, then you can add the little bits of detail that you need. Yeah, no, I have to say, I, I agree. It, just for reference, it's definitely not something to be used as the main source of 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 uh, work from. Though I have to say, you're you're very fortunate living in California, where there's probably about three hundred days of sunshine or clear uh, weather, whereas here it's about half that. I'd say that was a factor. Yeah, that was really a factor in Dresden. You know. Um, from October through March, it was pretty cold. And I remember a couple times going out with my friend, we went out in the sleet and the snow, and it's tough going out in that kind of weather. And I'm, I'm getting a bit too old for that. So, you know, I've got my down coat and I've got all my um, heavy socks and everything. So I'll, you know, going to the beach here in the winter, it's cold and windy and I'll, I'll do that, but I don't go out in the sleet anymore. And, um, yeah, it's another sunny day here. We could use some rain, but, um, you know, I'll take advantage of this. I can paint outside all year round. So we could send some of the rain here from Ireland over to you anytime you <laughs> I want. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> So actually, another painting, um, another landscape, actually, which is Baylands, and it's the tree with the shadows in Baylands, and it, the shadow has been cast on the on a road or something beyond it. I love that painting. So um, that one is sold. I don't have it here. But, you know, with each painting, you know, I, I smile because I remember that day. I remember being there. I remember the birds or if it's a, an urban scape, I remember the people that came by and talked to me. And that's also one of the great things about plein air painting is that you've experienced that day outside. You know, these paintings, um, they're not static. They're a verb. They were, they were made. They're an action more than anything else. Just one other painting in the landscape, uh, California landscape, and this is one which is Canada Road. Okay, and that's a picture uh, yes. of a, an S-band on the road. Yes, and I, I don't have, that one is also sold. I don't have that one, but I love that one. And I, I remember driving along that day looking for something to paint, and, and there it was. You know, I just pulled over, and um, it seemed like a really peaceful spot. But about once every five minutes, these massive trucks would go by and jiggle everything. And I thought, I hope I am safe here on the side of the road. But I'm still here. It all worked out. Um, but yeah, I just, I love, I love those roads. And, you know, I love the fact that roads, when the sun is shining on them, are kind of purple. And then with the green, that's just what, one of my favorite color combinations is purple and green. But uh, I, I like that painting. I'd like to go back there sometime.
Yeah, actually, it brings me to something else before we move on on the paintings, which is sometimes when you make paintings, you know, I don't sell very much. I just I've sold occasionally in the past, but mostly I just do it for my own pleasure. But I, on one or two occasions, very rare for me, I have to say, and but I'm sure this is something that often happens or possibly often happens to you, is you've made a painting and you like it. You don't want to sell it and somebody wants to buy it, but you actually want it. So many. You, you see all these? <laughs> now, not all of these are, are the ones that I keep forever, but quite a few of them. So any of the ones from Dresden, they're sentimental now. I was talking to my friend the other day and I said, you know, do you ever have paintings that you just can't sell? He says, if I put it up on the wall, then I can't sell it. And I'm not sure that's true for me, but I have far too many that are just too dear to me, even if they're not that great. Now, I can show you this one. I just did it the other day. Was this from Friday? And this is um, East San Jose. And right now, the hills are very green. I'm not sure if you can see that. It's oh, I can not. see it upon you. Yeah. It's not an absolutely fantastic painting, but I remember being there on Friday and it was just heaven sitting there and looking at this little house, which looked like it was maybe turn of the century. And what you can't see is there's all different developments over here and over here, new homes. But I just looking at that, I could see what California looked like in 1903 and it was quiet there were birds and frogs and i'm not sure that i can sell this painting just because i remember that day yeah and because you're painting a memory basically that's it and and you want to keep that memory which is you know makes sense i guess right right um so waverly at channing in palo yes. alto right which we looked at briefly before right I like this one. You know, I, I, I feel as though um, I simplified the areas of the house, um, you know, just really thinking about what's light, what's in shadow. I really like this um, sort of phthalo green, the way the light would hit this um, the shade there. And so I even added a little phthalo green into the sky right down here to sort of produce some harmony. Of course, and, and and of course, you don't always have to paint exactly what's in there. It's not a photograph. You're actually painting whatever you want in there. I noticed, for example, in Forest Street, I think in Forest Street, there was more greenery than actually you painted because I saw something on Instagram right. where you, ha you had taken the photograph when you were painting, I think, and it was a lot more greenery, but you, you isolated it into, into a different one, which makes a lot of sense, really. It, it works really well, I have to say. I remember on that one, I was thinking about the design of that ivy. How do I want the design of that ivy to be? Because that's a shape. And um, so I, do, I don't want to be a, a slave to what's in front of me. And I'm surprised how long it's taken me to get to that point where I feel comfortable moving things around. You know, on this little guy here, I definitely moved these trees around. I, I even moved these hills. Um, I moved the hills on this one. I do it all the time now. And I didn't before. I, I'm not sure why. Did I not know that you could? Or was I just not comfortable enough? I just thought all I'm trying to do is you know, represent that as well as I can onto my panel. And that was more than enough to do. So I move things around. I move mountains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, very effectively, I might say as well. 
Um, so uh, just before we move off that painting, actually, um, the shadow cast by the ivy is it ivy i'm not sure what it is the plant but anyway the leaves there the shadows are lovely on on the red brick i love that house you know i think it's um a little apartment house i think a bunch of people live in it but when i go by it it just looks like some little elf fairy house that you'd find in in ireland or or europe somewhere it's really lovely Yes, there is there is something about it that that does attract you into it. Actually, just moving on to, um, I think this is co- called v- Vallejo, uh, San Francisco. It's a uh, there's a little line out on the front of it. I have him right here. I can peel him off the wall. Let's see. Here he is. I love this guy. Yeah, this was one of the ones where I thought, oh, I can't sell this. Um, yeah, I, I just love this street in San Francisco. A lot of times when I paint in San Francisco, my composition is determined by where can I get a parking spot? And um, this street, there's just plenty of parking. And right beyond this, around the corner, you look down into the bay and to the Palace of Fine Arts. But I really like, I, I paint a lot of these little lion statues. They're almost like little models. And um, it's, it's like a portrait within the painting. And, yeah, it is I a, love focal, that a focal point for it. But then your eye travels around that painting. And what I liked about it was you first of all look at the lion's face, for me anyway, and then you travel around of the light coming through from the shadows of the trees on on the the uh, stairs and then on the ground and then on the wall and then finally you're moved inside to see what's inside inside the house as well so it's a very nice painting thank you you know in in some ways it's almost a limited palette too there really aren't that many colors going on here and i think when something is small um, that's also a good way to simplify is to just limit in, in a way that's limiting the shapes because it's the shapes of color too. So another another one here, which is um, Wool Street. Now I really like this painting at Wool Street. Uh, it um, on I think it's Bernal Heights, San Francisco, right. and it's a little right. greenhouse in the middle of a yellow and then a darker brown one. I love that one. Yeah, it's, it's over in the kitchen. I. I could have gotten that one but um yes i really love that one too i love you know the, the slanted um street there and just the way the light hits that greenhouse yeah the shadow exactly the fact that it's all in shadow except for a couple of little places where sunlight managed to actually catch the edge of the frontage on, on it um it works so well and the car actually we'll talk about cars in a little bit later on but i like a little bit of a car there which was which was quite nice i was just going to say it's really important as a plein air painter to learn how to paint cars because they are everywhere you want to paint a house you need to know how to paint the car in front i remember when i first started that sort of thing sometimes the painting of the car would bring down the whole painting and i would just trash the painting because the car looked awful so, um, and I love painting cars, so that's good. Yeah, and like you, I think you mentioned at one stage that you love to paint the chrome on the cars as well, depending on the car, yes. of course. Oh, all those blues and purples, yes. Yeah, yeah. okay, and so another painting here uh, is the Western Motel San Jose. Now, I when I saw that painting, I thought, um, this looks like it's from the 80s or 90s or something. It seemed like from the past in some ways. I don't know what it was about it. Maybe it's the pink seats or, or, or maybe it's the sign or something about it that sort of um, 
evoked a kind of uh, a feeling of maybe 30 or 40 years ago? I think even older. You know, when I look at it, I see the 50s and the 60s of San Jose. So that was down in San Jose. I went through a phase where I just wanted to get all those old signs. I did I did as many as I could down there, but I liked that one the best. I actually drove into that motel and then I where the sign was and then I thought uh, then I saw the the pool which was just fantastic. Um yeah, I'm in another San Jose phase right now with those eastern um green hills, but I yeah, I like um I liked the green cactus sign. It's just classic. And there's quite a few still down in San Jose. Okay, that's great. So you've got rich pickings for future paintings. You know, I think anybody does. Wherever you are, you just need to look around. Yeah, that's exactly it. You have to look. Sometimes you can walk around and not see, but occasionally you you when you want to actually do something, you have to look more clearly and then you see a lot more than you, than you realize was actually there. That's right. You know, I, sometimes I'm very picky about, well, what am I going to paint today? And I end up driving around and just like I was saying in Dresden, I'd be on my bike and I'd going buy things. No, that's not it. That's not it. And then when 10 o'clock would hit, I would say, well, that's it. I'm stopping right here and I'm going to find a composition. And you always can. It doesn't matter. It's all practice. And because you can move things around, you can say, I'm taking a piece of this and a piece of this, and I'm going to combine them together and use the light that's currently there and, and the shadows. And That's right. But I couldn't do that back then. That was not part of what I knew how to do. It's like, a, this is it. This is it. This is what I'll try and paint. Just one other painting, um, side door. It's just the light catching the underneath, the underneath the window and a little bit of the step. And then I think it's a stainless steel uh, uh, um, handrail that's there. I wasn't sure if it was or not. But um, that's a simple painting, but it's very effective. Yeah, you know, um, that's one where I, I was really thinking about the different shapes. So because that's on the larger side, side, I started with a grisaille. So I did the sort of the black and white painting on the first day. And then a series of a couple of days after that, I added color. That is um, the little house that we rented here. And it was built in 1938. Very charming house. Good memories. Yeah, and I, one thing that I like also about, again, the traveling of your eye, when you look at that painting, you initially see just the, the light underneath the window, but then you see the steps, and then you're drawn inside into the bookcase that's inside. So that works really well, I have to say. Thank you. I, I really tried to you know put a little bit of the bookcase there, a little bit of the interior, but not too much. Yeah. Actually, that comes back to the idea of um, simplifying stuff in paintings as well. It's deciding what to include and not to include is a crucial decision, I guess, really. You know, um, your eye really doesn't look at a lot of detail. You're aware of things in your peripheral vision, but mostly you only see sharply a small amount of, I'd say, what's in front of you. So you don't have to have everything in fine detail, I don't think. Only part of it possibly. Right. And I, I find that the biggest challenge in my paintings right now is to leave out the details. I'm still working on that. You know, I feel like I'm an old dog learning new tricks and it's, I'll get there, but it's taking me a while because, you know, I, I came to art school or, or the beginning of my art career, um, just painting every detail I could. 
and, and working not only from life, but also from photos. And so I've really had to evolve and push myself in this other direction. Well, that's natural if you think about it. You want to be able to draw everything completely right. And then right. it's only when you feel that you can, then you feel you have permission not to draw the items. You could draw them if you want to, but you don't want to. You just want to draw enough to to suggest what you need. Yes, I think that looseness, though, just... Um, just goes against my nature. I, I find it very difficult to be sloppy, um, and I'm I'm trying more and more, which is why these little little paintings help. Because as I said, you know, they don't make brushes small enough to get into the detail in those little paintings, so I'm forced to be a little sloppy. Also, I guess in terms of loose paintings versus like very finely detailed paintings. It's probably easier to do looser paintings if you, if it was a much larger painting because you're using your your arm as opposed to using your wrist. Whereas if you're using a small painting, but you're still managing to get loose paintings. But uh, it's 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 a different sort of I guess a different motion if you're you if you've got a much bigger painting and you're painting loosely. Maybe you're not even holding the paint brush very finely towards the tip. You're mo holding it further back, and then that's actually making it much looser as well. Yes, although you know I can get into lots of detail in a big painting too. So um, yeah, it's it's something that I battle on every painting. Regarding the uh, detail and lack of detail, both of them are quite effective. And it was a comment I made to you, I think, in email, which was I felt that a lot of your work in Dresden was illustrate. It was like an illustrator. You had a lot of fine detail that was in there. And that's what an illustrator tends to do, I guess. And uh, your paintings now tend to be more... Um, looser much looser but very effective much more effective i think i think your style has developed tremendously in in, in, in over the over the number of years that you've been painting i mean, i much prefer the work that you're doing now having said that i do like the illustrations and in fact maybe we could just talk about one or two of the paintings from germany one of the ones that comes to mind is Moritz bergerstrasse yes i love this painting I really love it. This one I did over a series of a couple of days, even though it's it's on the small side. I I just it needed more and more, so I kept going back there, rode up on my bike. What a lovely spot this was, you know. And I remember these days were very hot, so it was really nice to be standing in this entranceway here. It was nice and cool. And then back there, little kids were playing, and I really liked this little red thing. I thought that that added to the painting and again you can see oh gosh that's there's my Payne's gray and you know there's the Payne's gray perhaps um with a little bit of phthalo green um but it definitely has a different palette than what i would have used today i initially thought of t lots of times when i was in berlin where i was staying in an apartment block and in, out in the back there was a big uh, courtyard and you have those doors that those particular doors that they just have in Germany. You don't have them in, here in Ireland. I don't think they guess they have them in in California oh. either. Those big <laughs> no. doors that open wide, and then and little cobblestones. The cobblestones are yes, you know, they're lovely to paint. I'm sure. I miss so. I miss all of that for sure. Yes, be beautiful architecture there. I just love those thick doors, and you know they build everything to last for 500 years, and it does. Emanuel Kirkstrasse. The blueness of the color, of course, 
or Payne's Grey, I guess, really, you were using, which you said you were using there. The shadow is great of of the roof being cast onto, onto the side of the building and then the um, the uh, church in the distance. It's very, it reminded me a lot of Berlin anyway, I have to say. I love that one. You know, it's our courtyard. That was our courtyard. And um, I remember seeing the sun there and just thinking, oh my gosh, I need to paint that. And it was one of the rare days that I was there without, at the time, our, our little baby. And so I just grabbed my paint and... I, I centered in around that shadow area because I knew even in 10, 15 minutes that shadow was going to be moving. And then I worked on it again over successive days um, at the same time of day, of course, to just sort of solidify that shadow and the, the colors. I love these interior paintings. If we could just discuss a couple of them, the green light, okay? And um, it's got just the light a little bit of reflected light on the green wall and an open door, and then the light coming in on the red carpet. So well observed. Thank you. So that's, you know, that's the other side of that side door. That's looking at it from the inside. Uh, it was really a charming house, and I loved how they painted the walls, that sort of greenish color when the sun hit it. It was just great. Um, you know, I like interiors. I think that they're they're easier to do than a plein air. There's... Um, the light is still going to change a lot, but all of the the structures are going to stay put. Um, I, I, there just seems like less variation. So it's kind of like a still life in a way. The hallway where you have that lovely light reflection on the floorboards that brings your eye right up through the hallway and into the room behind. Again, that was that, was that little rental house. And I just loved the the floorboards and the way the light would shine, it was almost fluid the way the light would shine on, on that wood. You know, old old floorboards, old wood is nice. That also is an evidence in the living room painting, um, which had the bookcase in the, in uh, further back, but the, your eyes brought in the light. Basically, the light uh, reflection from the floorboards brings you through the whole house. You know, I, I love books, and, and I think that when you paint a subject matter that you love, you, maybe you spend more time on it. Maybe um, you just think more about it, but you do a better job when you're painting a subject matter that, that really draws you, that you really love. And I've done many of books because I, I just love bookshelves and books and reading. It's fantastic. Those books look really like inviting. They are. Just um, just the last uh, uh, painting, if we could talk about was, the, and you showed it earlier on as well, which was the painting of John, Right. So this one, right? Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, I painted him a lot. He's a great model. And, um, you know, I don't need to paint a chin with that beard. So that's great. Also, I also really love the way light hits his head. That's also wonderful. So, yeah, this was he probably sat for us for um, three sessions. Usually it's four hours a session. So the first day would have been a grisaille just the black and white. And then I had two more days to build up the color. And, you know, I think you can see that there's, there's a little bit of um, a translucency with these colors here. And that's because of the grisaille. That's because of the layering of the paint, as opposed to something like this, where you, you just don't see that same sort of um, glow because the paint here, you've got oil mixed in with the paint and then another layer of oil mixed in with the paint so the light goes through comes back through both of those layers and 
we see the light coming through um, just glows more. Of course, it makes it luminous. That's what I felt from, from the painting. That's right. And again, your eye is mixing those colors and they're not being physically mixed here. So it's multiple colors um, being mixed in our eyes. Yeah. Okay, Laura. Uh, so look, that's that's super. That's given me a huge insight to the massive amount of work that you've done and the development over over uh, a number of years. And it's been really interesting to look at. Just one question before we finish up, and that is, what are you working on now at the moment? Right now, I'm in this plein air phase. Um, I don't, you know, my phases last weeks to months, and then I'll go into something else. As you said in the beginning of the interview, I really enjoy portraits, still lifes, landscapes, urbanscapes. So I like it all. And right now I'm just going out every day. I'm just really enjoying being outside, um, listening to the birds and trying to find um, a subject matter that um, will challenge me to simplify, trying to do the things that are really hard for me. So things that have a lot of Maybe, um, you know, in San Francisco, something with a lot of buildings, I find that very challenging to simplify that. Out in the landscape, maybe a lot of trees to simplify that. So I'm in a plein air phase right now. But um, as soon as things start opening up and we get models again, I know I'm going to go back to uh, integrating a model into my week. And, you know, I'll just I'll just see where it takes me. It's been really interesting to talk to you, Maura, and thanks very much. Thank you so much, Frank. It's been my pleasure.